Again, good morning. So glad that you're with us today. And let me say happy Mother's Day. And as you, you look at the picture that is on the screen at this time, I just want you to know that I was a very blessed young man. And that God surrounded me with a lot of godly women, and continues to, who have helped me in more ways than I can begin to describe. Um, the little bitty cute baby Blake there being kissed so lovingly by my grandmother that I speak of so often. She's been with the Lord now longer than she was with me. And that's kind of a surreal feeling to stop and think about. But at the same token, I'm so thankful for those very, very formative years when she was a present and strong person in my life, loving me in a very special way. My mom's been gone for about seven years now. I'll talk more about her in just a moment, but so thankful for her. Thankful for you single moms, by the way. The job that you have as a single mom is one that many people will never really understand or appreciate what a challenge that it is to try to fill both roles, to try to make ends meet, to try to just survive. There on the bottom, you can see me and my granny at my wedding. My granny's been gone a little over two years now. I was very thankful to have her for well into my 40s. And what a blessing it was for me to have her for so long in my life. And and I knew even upon her passing, man, I, I knew that I had been so blessed to have a grandparent into my 40s. But, but still, man, I miss talking to her. I'll tell you a little more about her in a minute. Then you see me and my aunts there. I speak often about my aunts because my aunts are more like moms. Uh, one is more like a mom, one's more like an older sister, but they are both very maternal. And they both have always taken an undying love for me and have just put so much of themselves into my life. My Aunt Jan, she's a very godly woman. And when I first told her that I was interested in pursuing ministry, her answer was, I will support you as long as you don't become one of those know-it-all pinhead preachers. And I've never forgot those words of wisdom. And, and I've tried very hard to hang on to that and to live up to that wonderful advice that she gave me. And, and then there's my, me and my mother-in-law and I, I, you know, I hear mother-in-law jokes all the time, and I, I don't understand them. And I don't understand them because I don't really have a mother-in-law. I have a second mother. I have someone who has loved me as her own son from day one. And again, a very surreal feeling because Rebecca and I started dating pretty young in life. I've had Lucille longer than not having her at this point in my life. And, and she has poured so much into me, not only giving me one of her daughters, but just loving me as a son. You see, if you've been so blessed to kind of stop sometimes, and, and, and we have to do this, and I'm so thankful I did this, it's so good to just pause and to really... Think about what has actually happened in your life. And to actually consider the people who have poured into your life. 
Because life, it just passes so fast. And each day passes so quickly. And sometimes we just take for granted the people who have unconditionally loved us. And that should never happen. But sometimes it does. Unintentionally so. As I put this little slide together earlier in the week, I actually found myself uh, rather emotional even just looking at the slide because I'm just so very thankful. And I, and I know that you are too. I know that if you have had godly women in your life, mothers, godly grandmothers, godly aunts, you know. You know just as well as I do the impact that they make and the legacy that they leave. And you know that when they're gone, no one else can replace them. And you know what a wonderful thing it is to be able to celebrate them in the moment. And then you also sometimes you know the heartache and the agony of wishing you could hear their voice one more time. It's all of those things. And so much more. But happy Mother's Day. Now, this little boy, this little boy was having a very hard middle school. Fifth and sixth grade were really tough. I had gone to a new school. I didn't know anybody, and they didn't know me. And um, honestly, until watching David go through middle school, through this first year of middle school, I think I had actually suppressed <laughs> in my mind some of my own personal memories of how hard middle school life can actually be because there's just so much going on there and in our little lives and our minds at that particular point in time. And it was hard. Now, one of the things that my mom and I did to escape was she bought a VCR. That was a huge purchase, right? <laughs> I'll explain to you guys what a VCR is later, okay? But, but she bought a VCR, and I'll never forget she bought it with the tax return she'd got that year, just to let you know how much VCRs cost back then. Like, they were a pretty, pretty high-priced uh, item. And she used our tax return, bought this VCR, was so excited because that way she and I, we could spend a lot of time together, especially on the weekends, and we would just rent movies. We would rent old movies, we would rent newer movies that had just come out. We would just spend a lot of time with each other watching movies. And and during that time period, man, I watched a lot of like 80s, like teener, teeny bopper kind of movies that I grew up with, uh, like The Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink. Uh, and can't buy me love. And I mean, there were, there were so many other movies like that. And all those movies tended to have a very common character in it. There was typically some misfit kid who just didn't fit in with everybody else. And they tried so hard throughout the duration of that movie to finally fit in, to finally be accepted, to finally have the status in their little social circles that they just, they just wanted so desperately. And in most of those movies, somewhere along the way, that would happen. So as a kid, I remember thinking, I can make that happen too. I want mine. I didn't know this was the word, but I wanted to be cooler. I wanted my status to increase. And so as a kid, I just kind of used common logic. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe the problem is I don't dress cool enough. 
And so I made up my mind and I begged and I pleaded for certain articles of clothing because I made up my mind seventh grade was going to be different. The fifth and sixth grade had been really hard and I felt like a, a huge outcast, but I was going to change that come seventh grade. I'm really glad we didn't have Facebook back then or there would be a picture of me the first day of seventh grade still floating around somewhere, but there's not because people didn't typically take pictures of everybody on the first day of school back then. But I can still remember what I wore head to toe. I can remember my high top Nikes. I can remember my my duck head shorts. And they were bright red because we found them on sale. And I can remember my braided belt. And I can remember my Coca-Cola rugby shirt. And I can remember my Swatch watch. And I can remember a little bit of gel in my hair. And guess what it changed? Not a thing. Not a thing. I was still the same kid I'd always been and would always be. They say clothes make the man. That's a lie. They really don't. All of a sudden, people don't just suddenly accept you. Your your status doesn't suddenly change just because you want it to appear to. Hmm. Status is a tough thing that not just kids but even as adults we we struggle with peter knew peter knew that very very well and and as he wrote to those first century christians who didn't have any real status in this world per se as a matter of fact they were being mistreated and they were being persecuted and they were about to be persecuted in a big way because of their faith in Jesus. And so Peter is writing to them and he's wanting to encourage them from the very beginning of this letter to say, you matter. You are VIPs. Not because of your, your status in this world, but because of the status you have in Jesus Christ. Because of the relationship you have with Jesus, you are some of the most important people that this world will ever know. In our society, status is typically determined by what? What do you look like? What do you do for a living? What kind of money do you make? What kind of car do you drive? What kind of bank account do you have? What is your resume like? Those what's and so many more, if we answer them in a right way as far as society is concerned, those are the what's that sometimes can help a little bit maybe to advance us and to propel us as far as status goes with the world that's around us. But church, in the kingdom of God, it's not about what. In the kingdom of God, your status is based on who. Who do you have a relationship with? Who who bought you with His blood on the cross of Calvary? He is who gives you value. He is who gives you worth. He is who determines you truly matter. He is who gives you status. And it doesn't really matter what this world of ours says. And it doesn't matter how much they say, maybe at school or at home or at work, we may not fit in. It doesn't matter. 
Because our status in the kingdom of God is that through the blood of Jesus, we do matter. That because of the blood of Christ, we have status unlike anyone else. While Jesus, certainly He had a short time in His ministry, He was pretty popular. But we know that by the end, as Chaz was uh, sharing with us just a few moments ago as we took the Lord's Supper, He died on the cross. That was not the death of a king, by the way. That was the death of a common criminal of the day. And so, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, He died a commoner's death. But you know what? He still had great value in the eyes of His Father. 1 Peter 2, four says, As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, this is talking about Jesus, chosen and precious. You see, Peter, again, he wants us to know, he wants the believers to know that even though they may be living in a society that thinks they have no value, that thinks they have no worth, that thinks they have no real status to speak of, Peter wants to remind them, no, you have great worth. And the reason you have great worth, the reason you are a VIP in the kingdom of God is because of Jesus. And so it's because God has great love for His Son that He also has great love for you and I. That regardless of whatever the world may say, regardless of how we may feel as we don't fit in, regardless of those moments when we don't feel as though we have the status in this world that we may be striving to attain, God says, no, you do matter. You matter to me more than anything else. Going over to verse 9, the first part of verse 9, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. Now listen, all of those things are beautiful ways that we are described. But for time's sake, I just want us to look at one of them this morning. That we are a royal priesthood. That when we obey the Gospel of Christ, when we receive the forgiveness of our sins, God Himself added us. He added us to the family of the King of Kings. We. We, therefore, are a part of the only royal family that really matters. The only royal family that has any real worth. The only royal family that can take you from here to life everlasting. That God has added us. God has made us a part of this royal family. And there is no rise in status in this life that can come close to that. Nothing in this life compares to what God has done for us through the blood of Jesus. And how God has added us to His family. So being a person of status in the kingdom of God then, it's going to be something that comes with some wonderful privileges. And one of those privileges is that we have access to that which other people don't have. As a part of this wonderful royal priesthood, we now have access to that which... Only priests themselves centuries ago would have ever had access to. You see, only the priests of old had access to being in the presence of God. And it was only very limited times. But you and I, thanks be to the blood of Jesus, 
we, we have access to God the Father. We have access to the Creator of life itself. Anytime. About anything. You now you tell me that's not something that is absolutely amazing. You tell me that's not something that shouldn't move us and motivate us. Something that we should be so, so very thankful for. And not only that, but when we do go before Him, we can do it with confidence. You ever been afraid of that feeling that you wouldn't fit in? You ever been afraid of that feeling that you wouldn't be accepted? Have you ever been afraid of that, that feeling that you thought, you know, if I try to launch out here, they're going to reject me? Do you know those feelings? If you do, know this. You do not have to know those feelings in regards to your relationship with God. You can draw near to Him with confidence. As the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 4 and verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And that is no small privilege. Change of status also comes with a change of responsibility. And we should be in awe of and we should be thankful for this change of these changes of responsibility that come in our life as a result of being a part of the kingdom of God. Going back to our text, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For so long, God literally dwelt in the temple. But now, now God dwells in the church. But that's not this building. That's you, and that's me. God doesn't dwell in this building. We don't assemble here because God is here now that we're here. We brought God with us. <laughs> Each one of us, as we came here today, we brought God with us. Because He dwells in us. The church is the people. He dwells in each one of us. And then we become a part of His most beautiful and holy house. We are these living stones, as Peter describes them here, being built into, becoming a part of the house of of God. And again, that's so cool to me to think that when again you, you gave your life to Christ and were baptized, that God added you. Yes, He added you to His family, but He also added you to the house of God. He added you to other Christians, to other believers, connecting us so that we become a part of His house. We become a part of His church. And just like the priests of old, we do have those sacrifices as priests that we are to be making. Those spiritual sacrifices. So what are those spiritual sacrifices? Well, we know that our bodies are supposed to be a living sacrifice according to Romans 12 and verse 1. So that would definitely be one thing where we are supposed to be sacrificing. But the sacrifice that Peter seems to be emphasizing here is the sacrifice of making God known. His goodness, His faithfulness, living a life where your life is making God known to those who are around you. Listen. 
no matter how great your status in this life may be or may one day become. If you live a life outside of Christ, it will all be in vain. That's the reality. If you live this life outside of Jesus, then you are living this life as one without hope. Because it doesn't matter how much status of this life you may attain, how much you have, how much you you get, as it were, how high up the corporate ladder you may climb, how, how many letters, how many titles you have behind your name. Those are nice. But if it's without Christ, if you die outside of Christ, not following in the footsteps of Jesus, you'll die and you will miss out on the very thing that Jesus died so you could have. You will miss out on life everlasting. You'll miss out on that heavenly home. You'll miss out on that sweet reunion that so many of us talk about and think about whenever we think about those of faith whom we've loved, who've gone on before us. And we we talk about that reunion day. Guess what? You'll miss out on that too. If you die without Jesus. Now, what Peter's trying to get across in this letter is the reality that there is only one way to God, there's only one way to eternal life, and that's through Jesus. And that's through being obedient to His will. And if you're not, then you are going to be someone without hope once the end has come. Now, that was not a politically correct statement in the days of Peter any more than it is today. But that doesn't make it any less true. It's still the reality that we all will face based on what we see in Scripture. Peter would go on to write here beginning in verses 7 and 8. So, the honor is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. They stumble. They don't make it into life everlasting because they have disobeyed the Word of God. Our status within the kingdom of God, as I said before, it it comes with responsibilities that we have been left to fulfill. And one of those responsibilities is to make God known with our words Going back to verses 9 and 10, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so Peter's writing to Christians here. He's writing to us as well. He says, listen, remember who you are. Remember who you were. That now, man, you've been called into this marvelous light and you were in the darkness. That, that now you are one of God's people. You, you used to just be a person, right? But now you're one of God's people. 
You used to be somebody in need of mercy, but now, now you are someone who has embraced the mercy of God. And you are so thankful for these things. Now when you're living a life thankful for those things, what do you do? You proclaim it. You proclaim the excellencies of God. You use the mouth He's given you. You give the tongue He's given you. You use the words that come forth to proclaim the excellencies of God. There is no doubt. This is one of the reasons why we come together every Lord's Day. We come together to praise, to celebrate, to proclaim how good God is. We come together and we worship Him. And it's always such a wonderful time to be a part of the family of God. But it does not end today. Today is merely supposed to be the launching point for the rest of our week. So that as we leave here today, we continue to live for Christ as He has died for us. That we continue to live as people of light, knowing we've been called from darkness, knowing we've received mercy, knowing now we are God's people. We live like it Monday through Saturday. And Lord willing, if He gives us another Lord's Day next Sunday, even though it won't be Mother's Day, we still come together and we continue to worship and praise and proclaim. That's what we do. That's who we are. At least that's who we've been called to be. We're also not only supposed to use our words, we're to use our lives to proclaim this. Make God known with our lives. Picking up now in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There are going to be unbelievers who very likely will become believers because of you. Yeah. Because of your faith. Because of your life. Because of the convicting way you live your life. You are setting a tremendous example before other people that's going to bring them. It's going to bring them to God. How do you do that? How do you live that kind of convicting life? You abstain from the passions of the flesh. Some translations there will say you avoid these evil desires. That's a challenge to live that way from day to day, but it's a challenge that can and should be met. Listen, we can and should be a people from day to day who are honest and and we're compassionate. And our words are thought out before we speak. And, and we're not people who are quick to anger. We should be kind and we should be gentle and we should be loving. We should be a people that our lives are so different than the world around us that people in the world, they notice. And when they notice at some point, because of the convicting way we lead our life, you're going to get asked the question that I've been asked, that I'm sure you've been asked many, many times more than I have. What makes you so different? And you're going to know the answer. It's not what, it's who. <laughs> it's not what that makes me any different than the rest of the world. It's who makes me different. It's my relationship with Jesus. It's the way I'm trying to follow Him. He makes a difference in my life. We also need to strive for this morally pure life because 
Because sin and the devil are going to continue to be waging war against our soul. When we say no to temptation, when we say no to those opportunities to sin that come our way every single day, those moments of overcoming, those moments also allow us to grow. They allow us to grow in our relationship with Christ, to grow in our, our, our faith, to grow in our strength. Is there a sin in your life? I mean, it's just got a good tight hold of you. And uh, you've been trying to battle it on your own for a long time. Unsuccessfully. I would encourage you to own it. I would encourage you to name it. I'd encourage you to repent of it. I'd encourage you to confess it. I would encourage you to do all the things that God in His Word tells us to do. I'd also encourage you to find somebody, a person of strength, spiritual strength, that you can speak to. Somebody that can help hold you accountable. Someone that will help lead you to the Lord, not further away from Him. You need to find that person in your life. So now I mentioned my granny a moment ago. Like I said, she's been gone for about, uh, well, I guess it'll be three years this fall. This is one of the reasons I miss her desperately. She took an awful lot to the grave about me that nobody else has ever or will probably ever know. Because I knew, I knew in plenty of moments in my life when I didn't have anyone else that I thought I could talk to, which was a false assumption on my part, but I knew my granny was there. And I, I knew I could drive to Nashville and talk to her. I knew I could call her anytime, day or night. I knew she would listen. I knew that her answers would be godly and scriptural as she would point me and encourage me in the right direction. I knew when she said, son, I'm going to be praying for you. I knew she meant it. And I also knew that she was never going to love me any less. There was no judgment. There was only love. Compassion. If you don't have someone in your life like that, find them. I guarantee you they are closer than you know. <laughs> They're here. It's just we don't always open up. We don't always share those things the way that we should. Finally, we need to do good deeds. <laughs> say no to sin, but say yes to doing good. Like we should be a people who are striving to make this world a better place to the best of our ability. We so often, we spend so much time lamenting how bad things are going. How bad things are getting. But what are we doing about it? What are we actively doing to try to help make our communities better? What are we actively doing to try to make our schools better? What are we actively doing to make a difference, to do good? Man, there are so many opportunities that exist that God puts right in front of us every single day. But boy, it's just a whole lot easier sometimes to become a part of the problem than a part of the solution. And you become a part of the problem when you just sit around going, woe is me, things are getting worse, getting worse, getting worse. <laughs> but not try to do anything in the name of Jesus to make it a little bit better. Do good. Do those good deeds. Do those good works. Those opportunities are in front of us every day. People will only listen. People in this world, they're only going to listen to our words to a certain extent. 
But when they see us doing good, when they see us doing good, then they know that our words, that our words aren't just half-hearted or coming from an empty place or from a hypocritical heart. When they see us doing good to reinforce the words that we speak, they begin to listen. You know, One of the harder things I feel like to do, and I'm not trying to chase the rabbit here, but this is one of the harder things I feel to do in our current culture. It's frustrating when you know that when you try to take a stand for that which is right, and you know how quickly the world around you is going to label you as being wrong. And it makes it, it makes us fearful sometimes to take a stand for that which is right because we're afraid that the world will label us as being wrong. Okay, so here's the thing. If we're continually trying to do good, and if we are just striving to ooze the love of God, then even when they come along and they say, you're a hateful person! You know as well as they do, it's not true. That's not going to stick to you. Because you're continually striving to be such a loving person. The way Christ has called you to be a loving person. Those, those type of insults that are so prevalent in our world today, they should become more like, we're like Teflon, right? Where they say it and it, and it should just like slide right off of us because it's not who we are. But we need to make sure that it's not who we are. And the only way we can really make sure that it's not who we are is to make sure that our words and our lives, that they're equal one with another that our words and our lives are consistent to the world that's around us you do good this week you do good and your life is going to make an impact on somebody in a positive way for the kingdom of god so much so that it may change their status in the kingdom there is nothing absolutely nothing more important than that as I prepare to close, I want to thank Godly Moms again for a second. And and if I may, I'm not a mother, but I feel confident that I can speak on behalf of godly mothers. I'm not going to try to speak on behalf of good mothers, because I don't know what good mothers think. But I can speak on behalf of godly mothers. If you're having a hard time figuring out what to give your mom or your grandmom, on a day like today. There's a lot of different things. Choices. There's cards. There's candy. There's going to their favorite restaurant. Kind words, poems, balloons, flowers. All those things. Those are all options. And your godly mother, she certainly deserves all those things. But what a godly mother desires over all of those things is peace of mind. Peace of mind knowing that she has raised a child that is saved in the eyes of God. Peace of mind knowing that if anything happens to their child now or after their departure, They'll be with their child for eternity. 
Mamas carry those babies over their hearts for nine months. That's just the beginning. A godly mother wants more than anything else to know that, that it doesn't stop when the baby's born. It doesn't stop when that baby reaches 18 years old. It's going to continue. And a mama, a godly mama, wants to know she's going to spend all of eternity with her babies thanks to the grace of God. That's what a godly mama really wants. Give her that peace of mind. A godly mama... She's really glad you're here today. But a godly mom, I really want you here next week too. And the week after, and the week after. A godly mama, she wants you in Bible class. A godly mama, she wants to know that you're continuing to grow in your relationship with the Lord every single day. She wants to know that your faith is your own. That it's founded on Jesus She wants to know that that as the storms of life hit you, you're going to be able to sustain it. Not because of her, but because of your relationship with Christ. That's what a godly mother wants. Nobody can give her that peace of mind but you. Maybe to do that, Maybe you obey the gospel of Christ today. Now, I'm not saying, I don't want anyone to misunderstand me here. I'm not saying you should obey the gospel of Christ for your mom. You need to obey the gospel for yourself. And just know that the blessing of the peace of mind that is going to come for your mom, that is, that's secondary. But just know, man, the joy in your mama's heart is going to be something that is unexplainable. Or maybe your mom, maybe she did see you. She she had that moment in time. Maybe it was many years ago. She saw that moment, man. She saw you obey the gospel. She saw you being baptized. She treasures that moment. But because she's a godly mom, she also now knows that you're not walking in the footsteps of Jesus as you should and as you know you could. And maybe that's something that you need to repent of today. One, for your own soul's sake. But two, to give your mama, who you say you love so much, give her the peace of mind that she wants above anything else. And as a side note, all of us godly dads want the same thing. The exact same thing. We can help you today. Won't you come as we stand and sing?